morning, everyone. Really stand with us and worship along. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. All that you've done for me. 
morning. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. What a beautiful day, amen? amen? Man, it is great to be together with the family of God. So will you take a moment, shake a hand, hug a neck, welcome somebody around you. Let me say again, welcome to uh, Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here. If this is your first time with us and I see some new faces, man, we're delighted to have you. We want you to, to let us know that you're here. There's a couple ways that you can do that. One is there's a QR code that you can scan in, in the bulletin, fill out some information online. Also, there's a connection card either in the pew. There's some out at the welcome desk. If you would take a moment to fill that out, uh, then you can give it to the ladies at the welcome desk. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. We also want to be praying for you. If there's any way that we can pray for you, uh, there's a place, again, on the online form, or you can write that on the back of that connection card, uh, put that in the box out there uh, so that we can be praying for you uh, throughout the week. Uh, hopefully you pay attention to the bulletin that you read, uh, the announcements. We have a lot of stuff going on. I know we still need some help for the fall festival. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out there, um, so please... Uh, be involved in that. I'll make an announcement about the shoeboxes in just a moment. But you also notice in here that October is Pastor and Staff Appreciation Month. And so um, I want to take a moment just to, just to say thank you to our staff. Uh, so you all know that, that Curtis uh, fell. Most of you know that Curtis fell a couple weeks ago. Um, got a completely new hip, hip replacement. Broke his femur. They had to fix that. Uh, he's in rehab um, doing really, really well. Walked like 150 feet yesterday. Uh, physical therapy is very pleased with that. He should be coming home from therapy um, on Saturday. So just continue to pray for Curtis and Ann. They have been here, I believe it's 18 years. Um, and they have been faithfully serving God in ministry for many, many more years than that. And so, um, so whenever, whenever they come back, it may not be till November before they come back, but I want you, the next time you see them, just to shower them uh, with your gratitude and your appreciation. Um, also want to give a huge shout out to our secretary, Kim. Kim is actually here this morning. You didn't know I was going to call you out, but uh, Kim and, and her husband, Mark, Kim does a fantastic job. Uh, she keeps me straight. She's also a Kentucky fan. And I was, hey now, hey now. 
And I was really hoping we'd have something to celebrate this morning together, but I was, I was just hoping Kentucky scored one touchdown yesterday. We scored two, something no other team has done this year, so that's a win in my book. So, um, But so thankful for Kim. Also, Melinda, our financial secretary, does a fantastic job uh, of taking care of, of all of that. And so Northside is blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, and then beyond that, each and every one of you, because what we do here is not possible apart from you and how you serve and how you volunteer. And I could start calling names, but I would forget people. And so I am thankful for you and your ministry and all that God has done in Northside and your faithfulness for missions and to share the gospel. Um, and, and that's one thing that we're in the process of doing right now with these shoe boxes. So there are more shoe boxes out in the foyer. We're not going to take these shoe, bo- shoe boxes until December, so you have plenty of time. Uh, but if you want to go ahead and get started, the boxes are available. Also out there at the welcome desk, you'll find this. Um, this has instructions, also has the labels. Uh, if you've never done this before, it's very detailed. And then at the kids' desk is a piece of paper that looks like this. So if you have kids, stop by the kids' desk and pick up some of these, and they can fill this out about themselves, and they can put it in each box so the kid that receives it learns a little bit more um, about those who, who pack the box. Um, it is absolutely urgent that we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus is coming. Amen? I believe he's coming soon. And if they don't know Jesus, then they will be condemned forever apart from Christ. They need to know the gospel. There is an urgency. And so I want you, as you pack these boxes, as you pray for these boxes, to understand that urgency. We have a short video that speaks to the urgency of sharing the gospel. The way we express the love of Jesus Christ and the passion that he had is that we go out there and we serve others. We go to the out-of-bound places, the ends of the earth. The world is changing, but the gospel doesn't change. The message of the cross doesn't change. We're going to make every effort to share the gospel. The world has been decimated by COVID-19, but the work here at Samaritan's Purse, it never stops. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And we do it through Operation Christmas Child. It's a platform that God has given Samaritan's Purse to share the gospel more than 10 million times every year. Jesus loves you. The wonderment of it is that the child's encounter is not with material things. By faith, the encounter is with things unseen, and they're receiving that for the very first time. Let's pray together, and after we pray, we're going to continue to worship together. Father, that video reminded us that though the world around us is changing, the gospel has not and will not ever change. And there is an urgency, God, this morning that we as your people who gather together begin to live on mission for Christ like we have never lived on mission before. That people around us come to know and to hear the name of Jesus. Father, we were also reminded, and I think it was very important, that when these kids open this box, it is not just physical. 
Lord, there is something much greater going on behind these physical boxes. And that is that their eyes may see something for the first time. What was unseen to them. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That their sin had separated them from you, Father, but that you sent Jesus so that, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with you, so that we can be reconciled to you. So that the wrath that was due us, God has been paid in Jesus as he took that wrath so that we now can become children of God. That you are our Father. That Jesus becomes our brother, our Lord, our Savior. That we become indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And God, that forever and ever and ever we will live with you. Lord, we know a lot of the physical stuff that's going around us right now, but behind all of that is the spiritual. And Father, we know that Satan is busy at work, so Father, may your people rise up and and get to work as well. Because Jesus, we know that you're moving, that you're working, the Spirit of God is still convicting. So help us to get involved in that. Father, thank you. Thank you this morning that you turn our graves into gardens. That you turn these dead bones and you give us life. You take those who are lost and you save us. And you take us from being children of wrath to being sons and daughters of our high King. So Father, there is so much, so many reasons for us to worship you today. So maybe lift up our praises in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and continue to worship with us? Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together, and every desire is. Satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend, cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's
darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy trust that you are the anchor in that storm. You're the cornerstone in our lives, dear God. And though we may not see uh, why certain things happen, dear God, we, we trust in you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you're trustworthy, uh, dear God, and that, that your will is perfect. We uh, just praise you for that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Your words.
Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, our children are going to make their way out to Children's Church at this time while the choir comes down. Y'all can come on down. And while they're coming down, if you'll just take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians 2, we'll read that in just a few moments together. We live in a world of rivalries and divisions. Some of them trivial and minor, like Coke versus Pepsi, or PC versus Mac, or sweet tea versus unsweet tea. I don't know how anybody drinks unsweet tea, but you go ahead and do your thing. Um, rivalries like Auburn versus Alabama, Georgia versus... I don't know who you, Georgia Tech, Auburn, Florida, they're all kind, I don't know who your all's rivalry is, but uh, Kentucky versus Louisville, right, we have all sorts of rivalries. Some become more serious, Republican versus Democrat, red states versus blue states, mask versus no mask, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Some even are persecuted and killed due to cultural and racial hostilities. The world in which we live is broken and fractured. I was watching the first half of the Ole Miss-Tennessee game last night, went to bed, woke up this morning to find out apparently chaos ensued late in the game as fans, students begin to pelt the field with all sorts of objects, right? And we could be quick just to say, well, that's just Tennessee fans, right? But the reality is, I think that's everywhere you look today. There is just a, a lack of decency. Like we're just all angry and we're hostile and we're divided. And so we just want to attack, whether it's throwing water bottles or punches or making jabs on the internet. We are always attacking one another. And yet it's in the midst of this broken and fractured world that God places his church. That God places his people his ecclesia, his called out ones, his people, as Paul will teach us this morning, that have been reconciled first and foremost to God, but then have also been reconciled to one another. And it's here. It's here within this divided, broken world that God places the body of Christ, which is to bring heaven to earth. And that's what Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven heaven on and on earth as it is in heaven right that we're to bring heaven to earth it's here in the midst of this broken fractured world that the world should see a picture of the future kingdom of god that within the church the world should see what the future kingdom of god in the new heavens and the new earth is going to look like and it's all because of Christ's reconciling work so we're going to do this morning, there's, there's not any notes on the screen, it's really simple. I'm not going to be able to go into a lot of detail on some of this, but I'm going to show you how we have first and foremost been reconciled to God, and then how we've been reconciled to one another. And so we'll talk a little bit about the church this morning, and then next week we're going to get in more depth as to the church and what the body of Christ is to look like. So if you have the copy of God's Word, would you please stand in honor of, reading, of the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 18. And this is the Word of the Lord. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Oh God, we pray that you would speak clearly through your word, speak through your servant for your glory and your honor. And it it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice, first of all, number one, is that through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled with God the Father. So through Jesus, we can be reconciled with God the Father. In other words, we can have peace with God. So we're going to work through verses 14 through 18, and I just want to focus on how we've been reconciled with God, and then we're going to come back and see how we've been reconciled with one another. But look at verse 14. For he himself, that's emphatic, he himself is speaking to Jesus. How do we know that? Last part of verse 13. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he, Christ himself, is our peace. We must start with a vertical reconciliation, and then upon that, we have the foundation to build our horizontal reconciliation. And so what Paul says is we have peace because Jesus himself is our peace. Maybe you think of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, right? That prophetic, uh, those prophetic verses that the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Right, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angels declare glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, John, if you want to turn there, John 14. Let me show you three times in John where Jesus speaks of this peace. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I'm giving you peace. I'm leaving you with peace. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, what are you going to have in the world? You're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I'm giving you peace. John chapter 20, verse 26 says this. This is Jesus appearing to the disciples. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus says we can have peace. Paul says that Jesus is the reason we have peace, that he himself is our peace. How does he do this? Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God. Paul says through Jesus we can be reconciled to God in one body. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we can be reconciled to God. Romans chapter 5, if you have your... Bibles, listen to what Paul says there in verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we are made right with God, not through works, but by faith. Paul is saying we've been made right with God, justified by faith. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church, listen to verse 10. For if while we were enemies, you need to understand, 
Either you were an enemy of God or you are an enemy of God. We were enemies. We were at enmity with God. We were hostile to God, rebelling against God. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We have been made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Look what else he says, verse 17. And he came, Jesus came, and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. It's a message. It's the gospel of peace. And then verse 18. For through him, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You notice the Trinitarian language? It's through him, that's Jesus Christ the Son, right? We, he talks about the Spirit, access in one Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, to the Father, that's God the Father, one God, three persons. This is Trinitarian language. And what does Paul say we have? We have access. That word access means you have permission to enter. You have permission to come to God, to enter into His presence, right? He becomes our Father. We become His sons and His daughters. And it's all through the work of Christ upon the cross. Hear me. Jesus Christ is able to take you where you could not take yourself. Jesus can take me where I could not take myself. Now, a day's coming, right? It's appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. I'm going to stand before God, right? And He's going to judge me. So I'm going to be there, but I can't stay in the presence of God in myself, right? In the Old Testament, they were restricted in, into the presence of God. Only the high priest, the Holy of Holies. You couldn't you could just walk into the Holy of Holies, right? You didn't have access. But now what Paul is saying, what God has declared, is that we can come to the Father. How? Through Jesus Christ the Son. That's our hope this morning. That's our peace. That no matter what's going on in the world around us, through Jesus Christ, we can be made right with God. So here's the question. Have you been reconciled to God the Father? Have you been made right with God the Father? Well, how does that happen? It's not based upon your works. Paul has been very clear in chapter 2. It is only based, the only ground you have to stand is the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Your only hope is to plead His righteousness and not yours. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Christ. And so this morning, you can be reconciled with God. Now, we, we touched on that a couple weeks ago. As Paul was talking about who they once were and now who they are, and it's all, be, it's all by the blood of Christ. But this is where we start. Understand one thing, the main thing that sets us apart from the world is you've been reconciled with God. They can be, but they must come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. What distinguishes you from everybody else? It's not your deeds. It's not what, what you can do or might do. or should. It's all because of Christ. Now, he reconciles us to God the Father. And out of that, and this is where I want us to spend most of our time this morning, out of that now comes reconciliation with others. So here's the second point. Through Jesus, we are reconciled with others. We can have peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ because of the finished work of Christ. Not only right with God vertically, but now horizontally. Look at verse 14. 
For he himself is my peace. Not what it says. For he himself is our peace. Our peace. Who is the our? Who is Paul speaking to? He is speaking to Jew and Gentile. In the church of Ephesus, the surrounding churches, Jews and Gentiles. You say, is that significant? Absolutely. Why? Because Paul is writing to people prior to their faith in Christ, and maybe even after their faith in Christ, who are struggling with the fact that prior to Jesus, Jew and Gentile hated one another. You want to talk about a group of people that despised one another, it was Jew and it was Gentile. The Greeks felt they were superior to Jews and to anyone else. They, they called others barbarians because their language sounded like bar, bar, bar. They weren't as sophisticated as the Greeks. And so you were a barbarian. The Jews despised the Gentiles. Barclay summarizes this well in his commentary. He said the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her, in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. Listen to this. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. They were rivals. They were enemies. They despised one another. And here they are in the same house church, in the same church. That Gentile that you would never associate with is now sitting next to you. That Jew that you despise, wanted nothing to do with, is now sitting next to you. And so, right, they have councils in the book of Acts trying to figure out, okay, what is going on here? Jew and Gentile now coming to faith in Christ. How do we respond? How do we act? Does the Gentile have to become a Jew? Like, what does this look like? And so, right, they address that in the book of Acts and in these other letters. And so look what he says, because this is astonishing. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. That phrase, the both, can simply mean the two. Paul is saying God, through Christ, has taken the two, Jew and Gentile, and he has now made them one. They are one. How is God going to do this? How is he going to take the two and make them one? Well, he continues, for he himself is our peace. And I can't get into this in great detail, but I encourage you, may this spur you on to studying in greater detail, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's what I've learned about humans. We're really good at building walls. We're really good at dividing people into all of these different categories and creating all of these divisions. Well, in the early church, there was a division between Jew and Gentile. Now, you could see this division physically. For example, in Herod's temple, 
There was a wall four to five feet tall that separated the court of Gentiles from the court of the Jews. If you were a Gentile, you could come to the court of the Gentiles, but you could go no further. You were not permitted to come into the court of Jews. And in fact, they found through discoveries, through archaeology discoveries, right, that there were actually signs that said something along these lines. No stranger can enter, meaning no, gen, no, no Gentile can enter beyond this point. And whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. So if I'm a Gentile and I walk up to this wall and I say, forget this barrier, I'm going in. If I die, it's on me because I was not permitted to enter. That was a physical sign of the dividing wall of hostility. And in 70 AD, that temple is destroyed. And that wall is destroyed. But I don't think that's what Jesus is, and Paul is talking about here. That was a physical reminder, but there's a spiritual, there's something else that's going on here that Jesus, through his death, destroys. And Paul references it. Again, and I can't go into this in great detail, but he says this. He tore down that dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Paul here is talking about the law. See, the ultimate dividing wall between Jew and Gentile was the law. By its very nature, it separated the Jew from the Gentile. God had a people, the Jewish people. Now, they were to be a blessing to the Gentiles, but God had set aside the Jewish people. And through these ceremonial laws, through the sacrifices and the festivals and the, the clean and unclean laws and how you're supposed to dress and what you're supposed to eat, you were naturally separated from the Gentiles who didn't do this. So for further study, you can read in Colossians chapter 2, a parallel passage, verses 16 through 21, who talks about the festivals and the, the clean and unclean and all of these things. They separated them, right? The ceremonial laws. Think about it. A Jew could not worship with a Gentile because the Jews had certain things they were supposed to do to worship. And a Gentile refused to worship with the Jews. They couldn't worship together. They couldn't even eat together. The Jews had clean and unclean laws that they were following. The Gentiles didn't care about that. They couldn't worship together. They couldn't eat together. And so what Paul's saying is that Jesus comes and he abolishes these. Now listen, abolish doesn't mean Jesus says, oh, that's the law, we want nothing to do with that. Don't even have to read the Old Testament, forget it. That's not what he's saying. By abolishing, he simply means he's fulfilled it. He has brought it to fulfillment. He, he has done what you and I couldn't do, which is fulfill the moral law. Jesus Christ perfectly kept it, and he doesn't abolish the moral law. Right? He takes the Ten Commandments and boils them down to two, love God and love others. So he's not abolishing the moral law, but what is abolished is the ceremonial law. It's abolished. All of these clean and unclean and all these the sacrifices that they offered, it's all fulfilled in Christ. You see, the law divided, but Paul says Christ abolished the law. He abolished the law by fulfilling it. You say, then what's the point of chapter after chapter of all of these rules and all of these laws and clean and unclean? Why? Because they were all types and shadows. Every sacrifice, every animal sacrifice that was offered up was ultimately pointing to the true sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And you can't understand the sacrifice of Jesus without really understanding the Old Testament. 
right? And you don't want to read the Old Testament without understanding Christ and how he fulfills it. So that which divided them, Christ has now abolished so that he could bring them together. So here's what Jesus is doing. He is fulfilling the old covenant and he is establishing a new covenant. In the old covenant, the law divided, Jew, Gentile. But under the new covenant, now faith in Christ unites them. It's fascinating to me that when they are killing Jesus, Jew and Gentile come together because they want Jesus dead. And now post-resurrection, Jesus says, hey, I'm bringing Jew and Gentile together and I'm uniting them in myself, that they will now be one. Look what he says. This is important. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances that he might create. That word create should sound familiar to you. Go back to verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to create. Paul is saying he is making something new. Hear me. Because they, they, they had to wrestle with this in the early church. He is not saying Gentiles must now become Jewish. He is not saying Jews must now become a Gentile. He is saying I'm making something new. I'm taking sinners, Jewish sinners, and Gentile sinners, and I'm making and forming the body of Christ. And I'm bringing them together. He makes something new. Verse 16, so that he might reconcile us both to God. Jew is reconciled to God. Gentile is reconciled to God in one body. That's the church through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. What's he talking about here? Who were the far off? You you read the Old Testament, the far off would have been the Gentiles. Who are the near? That would have been the Jews. The ones who grew up with the law, grew up with the promise of the Messiah. Gentiles far off, Jews are near. What's Paul saying? Christ came to preach peace to both because the Jew and the Gentile both are only saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He's making something new. We continue, verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. They both. It's hard for us, we're so removed from this, but y'all got to imagine how astonishing this would have been to them. He is saying both Jew and Gentile now have access to the same Father, the same God, and they therefore become brothers and sisters. Um, One of the commentaries I read this week said this, the Jews of the Old Testament had acceptance by virtue of the sacrifices. They would offer up the sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. God would accept them, but they did not have access. They didn't have access. No Jew could just walk into the Holy of Holies whenever he wanted. No, that was the high priest once a year, the Day of Atonement. So even Jews didn't really have access to God. But now, through Christ, they do. What happens when Jesus Christ is crucified upon the cross? That veil that separated the holy place from the Holy of Holies is what? It's torn in two from the top down. It's as if God is saying, now you all, through my Son, have access into my presence. They had the same need. They both needed Jesus, and this hostility that existed now in Christ has been removed. So what's the main takeaway before I give you some application this morning? It is simply this. Enemies who hate one another 
now become brothers and sisters in the family of God. Enemies who never would have had meals together, now they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and they fellowship over a meal, and they worship together because they worship the same risen Savior. We as humans build walls, and God has torn them down. God tears down the walls of hostility and division, and in Christ, he makes us one. He removes hate and replaces it with love. He removes pride and replaces it with humility. He removes selfishness and replaces it with love and compassion for others. We build walls. It's what we do. And right now in 2021, the world is trying to divide us more than ever. Divide us upon the color of our skin or divide us upon gender or sexuality or whatever it may be. Politics, masks, COVID, right? Just trying to divide us. That's what the world does. But in the church, those walls must come down. Listen, how dare we build a wall that Christ has torn down? He has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. So there are a lot of walls that we could think about that in the church we have built. Let me just, let me just talk about two. The first one is one that the church has been guilty of. And that is building walls based upon race. Based upon race. Based upon the color of somebody's skin. Now, last weekend I had a chance to go to the Creation Museum got to sit uh, under Ken Ham, who talked for an hour on this very thing, race and the blood of Jesus Christ. And man, I, I wish I could just show you the whole thing. It'd be far more beneficial than me. But, but, but there's several things that he talked about that were just a great reminder to me. Number one is this. There's only one race. It's the human race. If you believe, and a lot of Christians, he said, don't, don't believe in the truthfulness of Genesis 1 through 11, but if you believe in the truthfulness of Genesis 1 and 11, we all go back to the same ancestors, Adam and Eve. We're all just one big, massive family. There's one human race. And if you continue to believe, right, you believe the flood, right, and the only people who survive on the ark are Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. So then we go back, okay, now we're all descendants of Noah and his three sons in some way. There's one human race. And he made a comment that just hit me. He said, the problem is we have stopped looking at people the way God looks at people. That's our problem. We have stopped looking at people the way God looks at people. So we're all one human race. And he made an excellent argument, and I wish I could show you all the graphics, that when God created Adam and Eve, people ask, well, well why are there so many different shades of people? And, and I love, he said, we, we need to call each other shades. Like, white, but just, we're just different shades. We're really, he said, all one color. We're just shaded, some lighter, some darker. So when he created Adam and Eve, people were like, were they white, were they black? When God created them, Within the very DNA, their melanin, he created them in such a way that from them, you would get all the different shades that we have today. It is glorious. It is beautiful. Our God's not colorblind. He sees this. The problem is we make it about color because we stop seeing people the way God sees people. And that's how God sees us as, as his creation. 
right? As his people. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The point there is not that male and female cease to exist. The point is, you're either in Christ or you're not. And if you're in Christ, that's how we see each other. We see each other as in Christ. Now listen, the church has failed here. We have failed when it comes to dividing people among race. We just have among, among the color of their skin. And so while we were at camp, I'm going to share two stories with you, one negative, one positive. But while we were at camp, um, one of the guys was doing a breakout session on critical race theory and intersectionality and, and all of that stuff. And, and, he, and he told this story. And um, full disclosure, this angered me. Because if you don't know, I have two sons. One is lighter uh, tone than I am, even lighter than me, and one is, is darker than me, significantly darker than me. Malachi, he's adopted. And so when he told the story, it angered me. This is your pastor just being honest with you. He told the story, there were four pastors of a church, all the same church. They were at a church picnic with their church, four of them. They're all wearing the church polos in a circle talking. And an older lady walks up at this church picnic, all four of them there, three of them Lighter skinned, one of them darker. Again, we're all different shades of colors. And she walks up and she looks at one of them in the eye, the one who's shaded a little bit darker, and she says, all of the trash cans are full. Can you please empty them out? Why did she single him out? Why him? Because her assumption is because he's darker than her, he must be the janitor. Because she stopped seeing people the way God sees them. She allowed the color of someone's skin to determine who she thought he must be. There's no place for that in the church. The church ought to be a picture of the kingdom of God. If you're racist now, you're going to hate heaven. I'm telling you that right now. Because it is going to be filled with people who look nothing like you forever and ever. So that's the negative. Let me tell you a positive, because this is the way it ought to be. 2010, I went to Japan. Before going to Japan, it's a lot of money to go to Japan. I had to raise money. One of the people that I asked to help support me was Ryan's grandma and grandpa. Ryan's grandpa served in World War II. He fought in Japan. He saw the Japanese kill his brothers Sisters, He saw them kill them and slaughter them and all the horrific things that he did to them. So when he found out I was going to Japan, there was a large part of him that didn't want me to go. Didn't want me to go. Can't blame him. I mean, all that he saw there, but you know what? He loved Jesus. And he understood it wasn't about their ethnicity or what nation they're from, or what they had done in the past. He knew they needed Jesus. And he supported me. And he prayed for me. And he asked me how it went. He could have said, nope, there's hatred in my heart. I'm not supporting you. But in Christ, he knew that's not what it's ultimately about. It's about seeing people the way God sees them. And every single person needs Jesus. Amen? And so let's see them the way God sees them. Now, in our culture, they're trying to divide more and more on this. 
but not the church. We're together. And if you are guilty because you were taught or was part of your upbringing, and for some of you it was here in the South, that you were better than somebody else because of the color of their skin, that is straight from Satan. It is wicked, and you need to repent of it. You need to repent of it because in God's eyes, either, here's the major division, either you are a child of God or you are a child of wrath. Really nothing else matters. Either you know God and you're his child or you are not. And if you are not, then our job is to help you come to faith in Christ regardless of where you come from or what you look like. And then the second wall that I want to talk about for just a moment, and I think we're all guilty of this one, and maybe in some ways as the church we struggle with this one more, that's the walls of comfort and the walls of preference. Look, we're homogenous people. We just are. We, we tend to flock to people who look like us, right, who, who are similar to us in our upbringing or maybe where we are in the socioeconomic or, hey, I'm married, they're married, right? We just, we tend to flock together, tend to hang out with those who look like us. And, and I think that's what you see by and large in the world, right? They're just broken up into all of these different subgroups. But in the body of Christ, that's what I love about this, God brings all sorts of jacked up, messed up people, <laughs> chiefly myself, from all sorts of different backgrounds, and he brings us together. And so can I challenge you this morning to tear down some of those walls? If you are 20 years old, 25 years old, the temptation is to only be with those who are 20 and 25 years old, even in the church. And if you're in your 60s, 70s, and 80s, the temptation is to only talk and be with those in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. But man, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we don't let that age barrier stand in our way. Older folks seek out the younger folks. Younger folks seek out the older folks. Let me challenge you to do something like mind-blowing next week. Sit somewhere different. I know. Thank you, David. Find somebody who's not your age. Somebody, if you're married, somebody who's single. Find somebody who's different than you and sit next to them. Somebody that you would never interact with, again, because we're homogenous people. We're just different places than I am. And seek to get to know them and befriend them. Right? This is why in the church, rich and poor can come together. And the world, right, the poor people may look at the rich people and say, you bunch of snobs, you don't care about us. The rich people might look at the poor people and say, y'all just a bunch of lazy bums who don't want to do anything. Not in the church. In the church, whether you're rich or poor, we come together. And it doesn't stop us. Somebody could walk in here this morning who looks nothing like us. Those are the people we want to love on. Those are the people we want to flock to because the temptation is to build a wall. You look poor, I'm not poor, but we tear those walls down. Single and married. Y'all haven't been single since I was 20 or 21 years old. It's easy for me just to flock to other folks who are married. And we have singles who come in here week after week and they may not have family. And if you don't go sit with them, they'll sit by themselves every week. Don't let that happen. 
I know you may not have anything in common with them, but tear down that wall. Don't let that be what and a barrier. Go to them, right? Education. We have people in here who have PhDs. Some of you barely graduated high school. In the world, you have nothing in common. You run in different circles, but not here. Not here. I try to preach on a level where, the, where a kindergartner can follow me. If you got a PhD and I'm too low for you, I'm sorry you're out of luck. Right, because I'm not where you are, right? I'm not that educated and not that smart. I don't have those big words, right? We don't let that be an obstacle. We don't let where our kids go to school or where we live, we don't let those things stand in our way. Why? Here's why. Because the church is to be a living demonstration of the gospel. That's what we are. We are a living demonstration of the gospel. That is why Though our world is absolutely tearing themselves apart over masks and vaccinations, I will not, as your pastor, allow that here. Why? Because that's a wall that could easily divide us into the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Look, that's your choice. It's your choice. Talk to a doctor if you're unsure. That's your choice. Nobody should mandate that. Nobody should force that upon you. But we're not going to let that become a thing that tears us down. Why? Because that's exactly what Satan would want. We want Northside to be a picture of what eternity is going to be like. And if we're doing a good job of that, praise the Lord. And if we're not, then God convict us so that Northside might more accurately represent the kingdom of God. Now next week, we're going to get into the importance of the church. And how every single one of us needs to understand the church is to be a vital part of our life. It's not optional. You don't have the option of, well, is Northside going to be a part of my life? It better be, or another church better be, a part of your life. Why? Because Christ took the two, and he made us one. And we're part of the body of Christ, which is to be expressed in a local fellowship of believers. So do you know Jesus? Number one, have you been reconciled to God? Number two, is there anything in your heart this morning that is keeping you from being reconciled to another brother or sister? Something they've done based upon who they are? Anything that is hindering that fellowship that right now this morning you need to make it right because we've been made right with God and now we've been reconciled with brothers and sisters. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, I want nothing more than for your church to look like the kingdom of God. And Lord, I know in my own heart, in my own life, God, I've struggled with this. Lord, I I don't, God, I don't believe that there's racist parts of me. But Lord, I do know it's easier for me to just flock with people who are similar to me. To maybe neglect others who are different than me. David last week, Father, talked about how following Christ cost us. It cost us in the world. The reality is it also cost us in the church. God, it is going to cost me greatly if I am to love my brothers and sisters the way I ought to love them. It's going to cost me time as I pray for them. It's going to cost me time as I love them, as I serve them. It is going to cause me to get out of my comfort zone. That's going to cost me. 
It's going to cost me, Lord, financially when there's a need in the body and, and I see that need and, and I'm required and obligated to meet that need because that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my mother, that's my father in the faith, that's my grandparents in the faith. Lord, it's going to cost us. It will cost us to follow Christ. It's going to cost us to be a part of the body of Christ. So, Lord, would you just help us? God, all that I know how to pray this morning is will you help us to be the people you want us to be? God, help us to see people the way you see them. Every person here this morning is either a child of God through faith in Christ or they're a child of wrath. That is, they have turned their back on you, God, and said they don't need you. They can do this on their own. They know better than you. It's who we are. These other things, they're not irrelevant. They're part of who we are. But God, at the end of the day, either we know Christ or we don't. Father, that's how we need to see people. Do they know Jesus? Are we living with a sense of urgency? Lord, I pray that you were glorified this morning. Any decision that needs to be made, Father, as we sing this song together, will you speak to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's, let's worship together. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, for the giver of life.
may be seated for a moment. We just saying that God alone uh, can save, that God alone can rescue, and He alone deserves that praise. So this morning, as the body of Christ, we get to do a little bit of praising. So, Maggie Beth, where are you, girl? This is Maggie Beth Divine. She's coming, her daddy's coming with her. Uh, Matt and Brandy, your mama's back there, brother's back there. Come stay next to me. This is Maggie Beth. She's eight years old. About a week and a half ago, her and uh, Matt came into the office and we began to talk. God had been doing some work in her heart. The Spirit of God had been working and so just began to ask her some questions. She, she wanted to be baptized and so we just wanted to make sure you understand the significance of that. And so right there uh, in the office, Maggie Beth prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of her life. Will you rejoice in that? Awesome. And so we, we always rejoice uh, in that. And so uh, she's going to be baptized. We're going to set a date for that. And, and so we're excited. And so you may not realize this, but see all those faces out there? That's all your family now, right? Yeah. You, got, you got brothers and sisters, moms and dads. Some of them are grandparents, and we'll let them figure out who the grandparents are. But, uh, <laughs> right, this, we are one big family. And so our family grew uh, by one, and, and we're excited about that. All right, you can go. Yeah, get fist bump. We'll get fist bump. All right, you can go. You can go have a seat. Appreciate you guys. So, man, I love, I love to see how God is at work in hearts, and maybe He's at work in your heart. Maybe this morning you realize, like, I don't, I don't know God. I need to be reconciled with God. Before you leave, will you come see me or, or grab somebody um, and share that? We want one announcement. We want to mention before we go. So Chris is going to come uh, remind you about the Bibles for Upward, and then when we're done, Kevin is going to close us out in prayer. Today's the last day if you want to get in on the Bible sponsorship for our Upward families. Uh, a case of Bibles, 200 or a half a case for $100. Um, if you don't have money today, if you, can just, if you want us to make a pledge, that's, that's great as well. But just, when you give, just make a designation and you stick it in the box back there. If we're going to pledge, just let me know so I can know. I need to order the Bibles today or tomorrow so they're here by the end of uh, the seed by game eight. We just had game five yesterday and probably did allow two weeks for them to get here. But... Um, Got 140 players, man, they would all love, I mean, it would, it would be a great thing for, the, for them to all leave with the Bible from, from us. Um, the, the, we did this for football, and we wanted to do it for soccer. The two groups are really uh, disparate groups. There's not a lot of overlap between the football families and the soccer families. So this is an entirely different group, and it's not something I plan on doing every year, but maybe on a cycle of three years, just so it, the majority of people who come here, they can leave with, with a copy of the Word of God, because most of these people are not are not in church, and, and a lot of these kids don't have their own Bible. So this would be a, something great you want to get in on and uh, have all that, all the souls that are saved from that uh, credited to your account. So if, if, if you could, uh, if you could uh, donate today, I would appreciate it very much. Thank you. People ask me, if you don't have 200 or or $100, just 20 you can give whatever amount. We're just letting you know what a case and a half a case costs. So any amount you have, if you want to contribute, you can do that. All right, if you'll stand... Kevin's going to dismiss us with a word of prayer. Let us pray. So, dearly, Father, we just thank you for your, your challenging and convicting word this morning, dear Lord. And just thank you for Maggie Beth's decision uh, to come to join you, dear Lord. And just thank you for, for Northside and what it means to this community and what it means to, to our individual families, dear Lord. Just ask that you would be with us throughout this week. Guide us and direct us. In your heavenly and gracious name, amen.